0: Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys and on this week's podcast, Jack Kelly joins Ben Gulker and I to talk about your 11 and 31 Detroit Pistons. Jack catches Ben and I up on what we missed during the holiday season. We have a great discussion about the Isaiah Stewart-Jalen During front court pairing and what to do with that pairing in the wake of Marvin Bagley's injury. We talk about Jade Nivey's defensive lapses and And then we talk about Troy Weaver's curiously timed contract extension. Hmm. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. hello everyone welcome to this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host lazarus jackson pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host ben gulker ben how are you feeling today
1: hey feeling feeling wonderful it was a great game today happy new year pistons rang it in with a bang really came out and competed well against the and beadless 76ers took advantage of the fact that 76ers didn't have their star and uh, really showed up to play. So glad to be talking about that. How you doing, Les? I'm doing good. Uh, we, we talked.
0: You talked a little bit about the new year. Uh, I took a nice little vacation with the family over uh, Christmas and New Year, so I did not get to watch every single Pistons game. In the last two weeks, but so I noted that we should probably talk to somebody who did do that. And so starring on this week's podcast, we got Jack Kelly of Detroit Bad Boys. How's it going, Jack?
2: Oh man, I'm excited to be on the pod. I think it's been almost a year to the day since I was on last time. So I'm really excited to record with you guys, but uh, my positivity, even with some wins in the past fortnight is um, it's taken a hit. From being honest, so, but I did enjoy a nice New Year's with my girlfriend and family down at the beach, so, yeah, man, I'm excited to talk hoops with you, you two, and, um, yeah, let's do it. Good
0: to have you, Jack. Yeah, it's good, good to have you, Jack. Uh, So, Jack, for for the two dads who didn't quite catch everything that happened between Christmas and New Year's, uh, what was, what was the vibe kind of like? It seemed like the team, you know, competed pretty well on the West Coast road trip. Uh, they won in Minnesota in a game that was uh, apparently so distasteful that, that, like, the beat writer for the uh, Timberwolves on the Athletic wrote like a scathing column about like how much the Timberwolves like sucked this year. Um, but it does kind of seem like we're still down only eleven wins on the season. What what was the vibe like over the holidays?
2: Well, I think we'll start with the Timberwolves game because prior to that, they had a pretty sure a blowout loss to the Bulls. So the Wolves game the Wolves got out to like a bit of a lead and then it was really the Pistons bench and Boyan that sort of came back and won that game for Detroit. And a player who's been pretty good the past week or so has been Hamadou Diallo, probably one of the few bright spots. But it's been weird because they had the win against the Wolves on the road. Even though the Wolves have been disappointing, you take that win. They also, but then they followed up with a blowout to the Blazers. Then they beat the Warriors on the buzzer from Sadiq Bay, who's been a divisive topic. So then you hope to back up. And then they lose to the Spurs, who are tanking. And then, and then, yeah, it's just, it's been up and down. And the wins, as enjoyable as they sort of have been, the process just hasn't, yeah, there's a bit of like false hope, I guess, behind some of these wins because, they're deserving wins, but you just don't feel like it's going to replicate into any sustainable success. And it's been sort of wind and a blowout. And, I mean, we've had some Killian Hayes. I mean, he's been a bright spot. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of the competitiveness has come from the, the veterans and the bench unit, which doesn't really get the fan base too excited. Um, so, yeah, it's been weird. They've had some wins, but, yeah, it's that – Overall outlook probably hasn't changed a whole lot.
0: Yeah, Ben, we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about how it was going to be tough to measure this team's progression if the vets were doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, in like in terms of like wins and losses, uh, like Boyan's been fine, uh, Alec Burks has been fine, but we've seen some real uh, up and down play from the young guys over the last like week or so. The guy I wanted to point to to start was Jaden Ivey. You guys can't see it, but Ben's display name for this podcast is <laughs> Jaden Ivey Stan. And so, uh, but Ben, you, you tweeted out some stuff that I was going to look up and then didn't have the chance to, but I'm so I'm glad you brought it up. Jaden Ivey's defensive rating is what over the last 15 games?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, 120 something bad. Yeah. I mean, his net rating over the last 15 is, um, is real, real, real rough. Um, it's about, his net ratings is around 101, or sorry, his offensive rating is about 101 and change. His defensive rating is 123 and change, which is just brutal. Um, his plus minus over the last 15 is negative 149, which is, you know, roughly negative 10 per outing. Um, you know, he, he's just really struggling defensively. Um, You know, Brady Fredrickson hopped in 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 Ivy's defense on Twitter, which I think is completely fair to point out that there's some coaching and roster deficiencies that I think make it tough for Jaden. And I think that's appropriate to point that out. Um, But I think the defensive deficiencies are particularly noticeable for Jaden right now. Um, He's a gambler defensively, which, I you know, I think in high school and college, that works when you're such a God among men. You know, athletically. Um, But I think when he gambles, the game just moves so much faster at the NBA level and he's just not able to recover. And I think his gambling hurts the team defense so massively when he's not able to get the steal and it leaves his teammates struggling. Um, And, and, you know, I, I think the team as a whole, one of the things I noticed this week when I was diving back into I wasn't able to watch all of the games uh, that I had recorded, but one of the things I noticed was the perimeter guys are still struggling so much to figure out the -the on-the-ball screens. And this is across the board, but Ivy in particular, he's getting stuck on so many screens, it seems to me. And whether they're switching or whether he's supposed to be fighting over it when there's a big guy. Um, I I think defensively he's just he's really not making the strides that his athleticism suggests he should be able to make. Um, so, you know I I think that's a big reason why the there's this big statistical gap between what he should be capable of and, and where he's currently at. So you know where he's at as a rookie is obviously not where he's going to be by the time he's 25 years old. But at this point in his his rookie career, you know his defense is just it's really abysmal there's just no no way around it and he's had a handful of duds over the course of the 15 games offensively and that's just pulled that that um you know that off those offensive numbers down now in the fairness he's had a couple of really nice offensive games as well he's had um some really spectacular moments as well too mixed in there when he's downhill he's still spectacular at, at getting to the rim um but yeah i mean a couple of weeks ago when we talked before the new year labs, we were talking about him maybe hitting a little bit of a rookie wall combined with the scout being out between then. And now he's had a few nice games, but, you know, defensively coupled with his shot, not being there coupled with um, still a couple of duds offensively um, just the body of work. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's kind of struggling right now. I think
2: overall. Yeah. And just to quickly add on, I think, the disappointing thing with Jaden at times has simply just been the effort. So in the, I think it was at the start. Yeah, of the four, plus one. He, he had a pair of turnovers offensively on back-to-back possessions, which I'm okay with. I, I get they're trying to get him some on-ball reps when Killian and Kojo aren't on the floor. So I'm cool, as frustrating as that is, but he sort of half got back on defense on one of his turnovers and just sort of, yeah, he just sort of let Philly, like, Get this easy breakaway layup, I can't recall who scored it, but there was really just no effort there to disrupt the play, even in it, even though Philly were more than likely going to always score. there was just he sort of just stood there in no man's land and didn't even offer much of a contest, so I think that sort of adds to the frustration, uh, probably from the fan base, and I'm sure the coaching staff are raising this sort of thing.
0: no definitely it was crystallized for me actually during the San Antonio game. There were a couple possessions when like Trey Jones just beat him in isolation, and it's like that is not supposed to happen when you're the type of athlete that you are, and Trey Jones is the type of athlete that he is. Like no, you know, no shade to Trey Jones, who like is a, a solid NBA player, but that's a guy you should be able to stay in front of, and he just wasn't able to. And so like yeah, I've definitely noted Jaden Ivey's struggles defensively as part of the reason why the Pistons have struggled defensively, but I don't I don't think it's fair to place. All the defensive blame on Jaden Ivey's shoulders, but he does take a, a really big chunk of it at this point in time. Uh, the other thing I'll, I'll say is that uh, he's he's not shooting the ball well still. Uh, he's still kind of been inefficient. His effective field goal percentage is only like – he has like a sub-50 uh, effective field goal percentage. It's like in the neighborhood of Killian's, which is like not not great, especially considering how uh, Killian started the year. Um And so, yeah, we're, but we still remain long-term bullish on Ivy, I think. But this is this has just been a very surprising uh, set of circumstances defensively, because like like Ben noted, you know, in high school and college, of Ivy managed to be a you know somewhat competent uh, and effective defender, uh, you know, being able to impact the game through like through steals and blocks, and we haven't seen as much of that in the uh, in the nba uh, so far this season um the next thing i wanted to talk about was jack uh hamadou diallo entering the the rotation again um he's been we all be me and ben always talk about hamadou spark how the pistons always seem to need hamadou spark um he had a really effective game today against the sixers with you know uh 12 points off the bench got a couple steals seven rebounds he's one he's the only piston with a positive plus minus in today's game, which tells you like what kind of impact he had on the game. Um, but Jack like has I don't know has have the Pistons just been like riding the Hamadou Diallo wave up and down? Has he been like a consistent uh, contributor to this team, or has it been just kind of like in and out uh, as the as the uh, as we've gone into the new year?
2: Well, in the past couple of weeks, he's averaging ten points and five boards with a steal and almost a block. So I think. We all know Army thrives amid chaos. Like that's, you know, I mean, tonight or this afternoon, should I say, he had one of his like those backcourt steals he just randomly gets. And he's also a gambler defensively. His off-ball stuff is probably the thing that's hampered him on the defensive end. But I think just his chaos, um, his ability to get offensive rebounds, that's been an avenue of scoring for him. Um, yeah, just mucking things up and I mean because the offense as a whole is you know I personally I'm getting a little bit sick of like these Bay and Bogdanovich mid post um ISOs. But you know, he sort of just does provide that spark and catches the defense off guard. And um so I mean I even thought um because I'm pretty sure we have Philly up next again or at least the next couple of games, I thought if Jalen Duran's going to be out I'd just throw Hummy in the starting lineup instead of Bay just to mix things up, just try something because I think he just brings a different speed to the game. Um, and yeah, he's been... I mean, I was pretty low on Hamadu coming into the season. I didn't have him in the rotation. And I guess, I mean, injuries have opened up spots for him. But yeah, I think he's been one of the few bright lights this past couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, Ben, what do you think about throwing Hamadou Diallo into the starting lineup while Jalen Duran uh, is out with uh, his ankles weak?
1: Yeah, I mean, he to me, he was the only guy who looked like he was trying at times today. I mean, today was just such a pathetic effort. I, I hate being cliche, but that, that is what it looked like today. Um, Stu, I think, looked engaged at times. I mean, Stu always plays hard. Um But spark and effort, I mean, those words are literally cliches, but they they perfectly describe uh, what we saw on the court today. Um, Sadiq was also a complete dud in the starting lineup today. He was practically invisible. Um, He seemed to have found a nice niche in the bench unit as well. So maybe leaving him there makes an amount of sense and throwing him into the four spot I mean throwing Hami into the four spot next to Stu at the five I mean you know Hami his issue has been he can't shoot and the Pistons need shooting it's not that Hami can't play it's that his tool set is the wrong one for what the Pistons need right and today Hami did some nice things he's been in the doghouse for for Casey at numerous occasions and whenever he gets out he does nice stuff he just can't shoot and, and the Pistons need shooting, um, and, and he manages to find a way to do something useful whenever he gets a crack at it. And I, I you know, I pulled the stats earlier since he's been in the rotation, kind of mid-December-ish. He's doing nice things. He's doing homie things, right? He's he's shooting a decent percentage, even though he's not shooting the three well. He's snagging some boards, which is what they need right now in Duran's absence. You know, Jack, you're right. He's not obviously going to make up for that interior defensive presence, and he's going to do some dumb stuff that hurts overall team defense. But at least he makes some stuff happen, right? Like, he does something, and for goodness sake, they needed stuff to happen today. So, I mean... <laughs> They do. You're right, Jack. That you have Philly next. They go to Philly and play on Tuesday. They got to show up. And if if Hami does something and sparks some energy, that would be better than what we saw today, which was just coasting your way to a to a easy blow. I mean, well, I think Harden had a double, or his triple double. What thirty seconds into the third quarter, without hardly trying. I mean, it was just an effortless coast your way to a. 12 point win that felt like a 30 point win so they they need the pistons need more than that on tuesday for sure
0: yeah it was it was definitely going to be like a 20 point win until uh there was some garbage time uh occurrences yeah yeah that that late stuff in the fourth yeah 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 so i i don't know i i don't mind hami as a as an energy guy as a as a role player but it definitely does feel like you know we it's taken, you know, injuries to Isaiah Livers and uh Jalen Duran and Marvin Bagley for him to like really have this big role in the uh in the rotation. And it's it's just been interesting to me that No matter, like we talk about Hami just always being able to do stuff during his time on the floor and how that stuff just isn't always enough to keep him in the rotation when it's necessary because of some of the other stuff he does, which is like, you know, losing guys off ball or, uh, you know, missing on some of these gambles. But I do think, Ben, we've we haven't I don't know if we've talked about this enough this season, but there has been a lot of listlessness in the Pistons play this season. And Hamid is the opposite of that. Actually, we should we should probably talk about that. Why why do you think it feels like the Pistons aren't giving a ton of effort on a consistent basis? Like, what is it's like with a team this young? It does not seem like they you know should be tired after you know five games and eight nights or uh, after back to backs. So, like Ben, what do you, what do you think it is that causes them
1: to come out just completely flat some nights? This is such a good question. You know, prior to this season, you know, let's talk about coaching, right? Um, I've not been a very vocal critic of D- Dwayne Casey. I mean, there have been times where his rotations have puzzled me. There have been times where offensive schemes have puzzled me, but I've there, there's lots of people who are like, we need to make a coaching change. I've not been among those among those people. I, I'm a big fan of Dwayne Casey, the human being. I'm a big fan of the no drama, the way he's developed human beings, the way he's developed character and all of those sorts of things. This is the first season where I feel like, especially defensively, he's gotten less out of the sum of the parts than he's gotten in the previous season. Like every season up to this point, I feel like the defensive effort and performance has been better than I would have expected coming into the season. Than less. this, that's why you know I, I'm thinking back to preseason predictions. Everyone was saying, "Ah, oh, the Pistons are going to be terrible defensively," and I'm saying, you know, Casey's always gotten more out of the teams than he's expected to get, so I think they're actually going to be okay defensively, and they're <laughs> abysmal, right? And it's translated. It's it's almost like that's creeped into more than just defense and become sort of overall effort. So I don't... I can't say... Like, you can't look at this group and say, oh, Casey's losing the locker room. Because it's not like bleeding into... I mean, the most you could maybe say is killing and getting into the scuffle with Mo, right? Like, and clocking him in the back of the head. But, you know, like, that just seemed like an out-of-character fluke. You've got Stu sort of getting into it, but that's just Stu being Stu. But, but I don't know, like for whatever reason, this group of guys, Casey doesn't seem to have been able to motivate in the same way that he's been able to motivate other groups of guys defensively. And my best guess, Laz, is it's they're just not responding to him in the way that previous guys have been. And I also think some of it is that it's also the youngest group of guys. He doesn't have as many vets who know how to play NBA basketball. And as Big of roles as he's previously had. Right, he's got Bogey, he's got Burks, and like that's kinda it, right? Like, I mean, you're you're so many young guys playing so many big minutes, and, and he doesn't have vets showing the the young kids the way. So that that's my best guess. Laz, Jack, I'd love to see what you guys have observed and think on this as well, because it's 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 the biggest surprise of of the season to me. Yeah.
2: No, I think it is a it is a really good question and it's one that's sort of hard to answer from the outside. I mean, one thing you could point to, which I don't think is a great excuse, but because of the game they play in Paris, I believe they've played the most games in the league. Um, so that has to count for something. I saw Amari Sanko for tweet out that Casey was talking about they only got in at 3am the night before from San Antonio and then they're playing today at 3pm. So there probably is a little bit of fatigue built up playing the most games. It feels like they've played a ton of back-to-backs, but I don't think that, that, you know, these guys are young for the most part and that shouldn't be equating to sort of the efforts like we saw tonight for the most part. And that's not the first time this has happened. So, and yeah, I think some of it's on Dwayne like Ben. I I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but, I'm never one that wants to go fire Casey or get rid of him and pin it all on him. Because like Ben said, he's been a great leader overall in a transitions phase for the franchise. But the past couple of weeks has been the first time I've started to sort of feel like a coaching change at the end of the season might be the right move, but I don't want to, you know, bore everyone with that, (laughs) but I'll just leave you with that, I guess.
0: No, I'm, I definitely think that uh, you are not alone in thinking that a coaching change might be coming at the end of the season, Jack. I don't know if I'm ready to start, you know, calling for that, but I do think it's definitely on the table. Um, I think Ben's point about the lack of veterans to lead by example defensively is is a good one. I do think about all the – it's a lot of miscommunications on, def- on defense, right, especially as they leverage more switching. It's a lot of poor transition defense, which is part effort, but also like part communication, like part matchup, part uh, like, you know, get that guy, like fill the wing, like stop the ball type of type of thing. And I don't feel like they've they have done a really poor job of transition defense uh, at times this season. Philly uh, today was a good example of how they've done a poor job in transition defense as well. Um, there's the play where like Harden bumps Killian is like trying to get to the guy in the corner in transition Harden bumps Ivy like out of the way and is able to finish with left because there's nobody left in transition despite it being somewhat of like a an even 2 on 2 fast break it's just like stuff like that is just a killer from a from a from a defensive perspective and I wonder if that bleeds into the effort a little bit I wonder if you if you Look up and you're down you know twelve every single first quarter because you're getting killed in transition. if that doesn't have something to do with your your effort level, the rest of the game um but i that's my pet theory, I guess uh but yeah it, i I totally agree, Jack, that it seems like the the effort has not always been there, but I don't know fully like what to attribute that to um uh, this season for sure. All right. the uh, The next thing I wanted to talk about was a bit of news that actually happened over uh, our uh, over our break. Marvin Bagley Marvin Bagley got hurt. He uh, what was a a, uh, a hand injury. He will be reevaluated in six weeks, approximately, like five days ago. So, you know, call it eight nine weeks until his return. This is Bagley's second extended injury of the season. Uh, Jack, you know, this shakes up the rotation, obviously, but. What do you, what do you think the Pistons will look like in general without having another like big to lean on uh, in Marvin Bagley?
2: Well, I think we've already seen, I mean Duran it, it obviously means Duran and Stu, that pairing will now have to be split up for extended periods of times which I don't think the numbers have reflected an awesome outcome with Stu and Duran next together, uh next to each other, but I've enjoyed watching them play together and just developing some chemistry. But obviously those two will have to be split up to try and maintain some form of interior presence all 48 minutes because for some reason it feels like Nerlens Noel's out of the rotation unless Stu's the only big available. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I guess Marvin has probably, he's he's been quite disappointing this season. I was quite high on Bagley coming into the year. I may have got seduced a little bit by that end of uh, his play, at the end of last season. Um, but I also think he hasn't been utilized in as much pick and roll as I would have liked. But anyway, he has been a little bit disappointing. But he still would have, he provides you that ten point six rebounds off the bench. Um, so I think obviously the rebounding will take a marginal hit. And yeah, they'll just have to try and fill gaps. Everyone will have to rebound. Um, but yeah. It is a loss, even if Marvin has been disappointing.
0: Yeah. Ben, Ben, do you think the Pistons, uh, we talked a lot about Marvin Bagley's defense. Do you think they gain anything defensively by not having to play Marvin Bagley, by choosing to stagger Stewart and Duran more
1: often uh, in an ideal situation? I mean, <laughs> when you're playing Hami at the four, <laughs> I guess it depends on who you play at the four. Like, Bagley's not a good defender. Um, in theory, you lose Bagley and put a better defender in his place. Um, with this Pistons team, I wouldn't mind seeing more Nerlens Noel. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, he played fine today. I thought I don't know, Jack, correct me, last correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he, he played well. Um, I can't believe I'm saying I would like to see a little bit more Nerlens Noel, well, like maybe 12 minutes a game, just to like stabilize, like competent big men play. Like, oh. It's, it's an 11-win kind of season when you're saying give me a few minutes and it's not well, I guess. You're, you're right, Les, though. I mean, when, when you don't have Margo Valley Bailey to rely on for some offense, that should improve your, your interior defense. Um, unfortunately for Marvin, I mean, this is the story of his career, right? I mean, he played 62 games as a rookie, and he's been injured every season since. Um, I hope he gets healthy a season ago in Detroit seemed to be like it could be his resurgence. Jack, you're right. He's been a little underwhelming this year. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he didn't get to play with Cade. You know, he was injured when Cade was healthy. He gets healthy. Cade gets injured. Unfortunately, that we didn't get to see that chemistry. Hopefully, you get to see it next year. Um, But you're right, Jack. I think they're going to have to – Casey and coaches are going to have to be creative about how they stagger the two bigs, um, that they have healthy, and and maybe – Assuming we hold on to Nerlens and don't trade him for a twenty forty five second round pick, um, we'll see a little Nerlens Noel anchoring some defense as well because I think he's certainly capable of being a competent big defender as well.
0: Yeah, I I thought Nerlens was fine defensively in today's game against Philly. I didn't think he was amazing. I didn't think he was bad. I thought he was fine. Um, same, some of the same communication problems. That uh, we've seen from the defense, that's like caused uh, like poor switching and just open lanes, like still occurred with Noel on the floor. So we can't, you know, he wasn't a panacea, but he, he was fine. He was fine. He made an impact. He had a couple steals, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he has steal. Um, but to Jack's point, it's like splitting up the Stewart Duran front court is kind of the big loss of Bagley. Like the the numbers say that that that. Front court has not been like terribly, terribly effective. In 352 minutes this season, they have an offensive rating of 111 and a defensive rating of 117. Uh, when we looked at those numbers earlier, Ben, like they had like a defensive rating of 111, and we were like, "Ooh, that's kind of interesting." And now they're kind of back down to uh, that 117 uh, defensive rating where they share that with a lot of the Pistons' uh, lineup so far this season. Um, so it's like, that's a you know, negative six net rating. That's not terrible. But the way that that lineup has been able to just create extra possessions by crashing the offensive glass, they have a 30% offensive rebound percentage uh, when those two guys are on the floor. That's really good. Um, they're efficient. They're able to get to the line. The pace isn't terrible. I've been really encouraged by the fact that they've been able to play those two guys together and what that's meant for for both of their games. So uh, so Ben what have what have your impressions been of that two big lineup and how I you know with Marvin Bagley out how hard should they work to to maintain the integrity of that lineup
1: Well Stu Stu's, Stu's three point shooting is still pretty streaky it, it's slumped a little bit over the past two weeks which I think is going to impact that O-ring a little bit and you know defensively you know there those two guys numbers are always going to suffer a little bit because the team is just struggling so much to figure out its defensive identity. So everything's got to be taken in context and with with a grain of salt when you're looking at these two guys. You know, I think Jalen is still very much a work in progress in terms of a team defender. I think individually he's doing some really nice things defensively. You know, obviously hurt today. We didn't get to see him uh, nursing some soreness individually he's got a knack for the ball he he plays passing lane well he challenges shots really well uh, he just lose he gets lost in rotations if he's got to rotate more than once he gets lost so that's I think where he's got to continue to work and develop that's where I think Stu if we think back to Stu as a rookie um, you know he, he wasn't great at shot blocking or playing passing lanes um, he wasn't necessarily very good laterally but he he was pretty good, I think. Rotating Jalen, by contrast, you know he's he's better with a nose for the ball, but he he gets lost in rotations. Um, I still like what I'm seeing, and I'm still optimistic. So you know, thinking about what what do we have left? 38, 39 games, something like that left in the season. You're right, Les. Losing that third big and being forced to stagger these two guys is probably the big bummer of the next 20 or 30, whatever we have without, without Marvin Bagley. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of the thing Jaden and Ivy and watching those two guys play together, are the, the two big reasons to keep, you know, to keep us engaged in watching, right. Cause we're probably going to lose a lot still. So I hope that the coaches and the GM are on the same page about what the priorities are, because I think you got to figure out, the four and six minute stints where you can still play those guys and evaluate those two guys together because, you know, you want, you want Cade and Jaden playing together and you want um, Stu and and Jalen playing together next season, because that's what you're playing for right now. You're not playing for this season. So, but you also don't want to be blown out by 20 points a game. You've got to figure out a way to be competitive. (laughs) So I, I think they've got to be really creative, intentional about figuring out how to continue to do that because there is, there is a real potential there, especially as Stu, and this is his first year shooting the three, it's going to level out. He was really bad shooting the three, then he seemed to find a stroke, and now he's struggling a little bit for the last two weeks. Shooting, I think he had a one-for-seven game and a two-for-six game, and that's going to make those averages go all over the place. So he's got to figure out how to consistently knock down the three. Uh, and those guys just need some time to play together so, so that Jalen can figure out okay, I I can't go for every single steal. I can't go for every single block. Sometimes I just got to be solid and stay on my feet so that I can rotate to the next guy, get to the next help position, and that's going to make the overall team defense better. Um, Offensively, I'm still super interested to see. I don't know when this point will come, if it's going to be next season or um, this season. His his Jalen Duren's instincts to pass the ball are super intriguing to me. They still remain very interesting. Against Golden State, we saw, I mean, the dude can finish at the rim, and I think he only was he perfect from the field, if I recall, in that game. Um, I think only one or two of those buckets he created on his own. We still have seen almost nothing of what he can do by himself offensively, right? So. At some point, maybe it's the last 10 games of the season, I'm sure they'll give him a chance to do at least a little bit offensively. So that's something we haven't even seen yet, right? And maybe they wait till next season to do it. Maybe it'll be the last five games, Laz. I can, no one else can see the look on your face. We don't, we, this is not a video on demand podcast yet. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm still hopeful. The numbers aren't great yet, Laz, but I'm still hopeful about these two bigs. Jack, what are you seeing? What do you think about these two bigs?
2: Oh, to be honest, just from a watchability standpoint, it's been the main thing I've enjoyed probably the past uh at least three to four weeks. I mean, I've really liked the process. Like I feel like Stu, they've they've really connected each other with some nice passes. Sometimes looks a little awkward, but that's just that comes with building chemistry. Like and I mean, Ben, you're right. Stu, I think, is shooting like twenty-five percent from three. He's past ten or eleven games. Um so the stroke has definitely dipped and we're now probably close to a month. So now's the time to like, we really see if that three point shot is for real. Um, I would say Stu up until that point was exceeding expectations. He was shooting like close to 40% almost. Um, so, but I've really enjoyed it. You know, I've seen Stu develop his drive game. He he actually had started going, like teams were closing out on him in the corners and he was taking people off the bounce um, once again, still looked a bit awkward, but uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed it and it would, yeah, that that's this Bagley injury. If that means they're going to have to be split up a lot more, that's a bit of a bummer, um, but hopefully there's a clear investment from the franchise in trying to play Stu at the force. So you would think they would try and manipulate the rotation to allow for, you know, at least 12 minutes a game of Stu and Durant next to each other. Um or just play Nolan's Noel. He hit two mid ranges tonight. So if someone doesn't prime away with a first rounder. <laughs> That's what I'm maybe, talking about. maybe maybe we, we keep Nolans around so we can facilitate that two big lineup. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What what have your thoughts been about Stu at the four, Jack? Um I we haven't really talked about this, but between you know you talked a little bit about the shot and, and being able to put the ball on the floor, but I'm curious of your thoughts about him uh, defensively out on the perimeter while like Jalen Duran kind of lurks in the paint. What have you what have you thought about that aspect of his game?
2: I think I absolutely I love the idea of it. I mean Stu is a better switch defender than playing in drops. So he can stick with some perimeter guys. I'm not sure about on the elite wings in the league who play at the four. Like I don't think you want him playing LeBron the whole game or but I mean not many people can guard those guys anyway. The big thing for Stu is can he provide that weak side protection like Jeremy Grant did. That's what Jeremy was really good at. And that's what these sort of Jaden McDaniel types, um, these rangy wings who play the four, they're really good at providing weak side protection. And Shu doesn't have that athletic grace, Jeremy and the other guys I mentioned have. So the big thing for me is on defense, can he provide that weak side protection when Duran's not at the rim or rotating? So um I haven't off the top of my head, I haven't seen a whole lot of it, Um, but that's the thing defensively for me. I I think he's fine switching, and he does a pretty – he's one of the best switch bigs in the league. And, um, yeah, it's just that weak side rim protection is the thing to keep an eye on.
0: No, definitely. I think uh, the other thing that Ben and I have talked about with with those two bigs is definitely rebounding. It's like if you're going to play two – to if one center and like Stu's like a four and a half at this point, maybe uh, I was like, you need to be able to win the battle on the glass. And uh, that was something that was definitely a struggle when they were starting like Boyan and Sadiq Bay. Um, And so to, in order to make that lineup work, you're definitely going to need to be able to rebound the basketball, which should, should also help them defensively if they're able to, you know, end possessions, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was Killian Hayes, uh, Killian Hayes, obviously, uh, clocked Mo Wagner like you talked about Ben that was a that was a surprise did not see that game live that was a fun morning on uh, on Twitter <laughs> Um, but as a starter Killian is averaging uh, before tonight's game which had a lot of turnovers and uh, he's actually had like 10 turnovers in the last two games which is not a great sign but as a starter overall Killian's averaging 11 and a half, 11 and a half points three and a half rebounds and like six and a half assists Uh, shooting 35% from three 41% from the floor. He's averaging almost a steal and a half and he's turning it over under uh, two times a game, which is interesting. So like a, like more or less a seven to two assist to turnover ratio, which is much more than I was expecting. Um, Killian has been a, I think he's overperformed expectations this season. Um, That'd be like a fair characterization, but That you can't say that without mentioning that like expectations were in like the toilet for Killian (laughs) this season, Um, and so Jack, I wanted to get your thoughts about uh, how Killian has played as a starter and kind of like what do you think that means for the rotation, like when Cade Cunningham comes back?
2: Yeah, I think, I I mean, Killian, like you said, Laz, the expectations were so low, and they even went lower when he had those first 10 games where he was averaging like two points and an assist and shooting sub 20%, like it, I I felt really bad for killing Like that was, so I think because they were so low, this turnaround has, it's, it's hard. It's just been, it's quite remarkable really. And it probably does look a bit better than it does because, because I still think he's shooting around 40%. He's still struggling to get to the rim, you know, He's had a couple of high turnover games. But, I mean, as a starter, he's been the Pistons' best playmaker. He's the the one guard on the team who can get the offense into some kind of flow. Like, for me personally, like, that three-game absence made it so clear to me. Um, I guess it just made me appreciate Killian as a player a lot more. Like, I I was really enjoying the, you know, the 15 and 10 assist games, and that was really great, but I wasn't really – hundred percent sold on his maybe keeping him around long term until this three game absence. Like I just he's passing, we all know he's a great passer, but just he's the one guy that can define Duran on the roll. Like that's been one of the things with Duran. I just don't feel like there's been anyone to help him in the pick and roll apart from Killian. And yeah, I think he's finally found a go to move. I feel like that was one thing we all wanted from Killian, a go to offensive move and it is the least efficient shot in the game, but he's making it efficient. So that long two-pointer, you know, he's got a shot. He's got a go-to move, and we've seen him make that time and time again. Like, it almost feels weird when he misses one now. I mean, for me at least, which to think that halfway through this season from where I was prior, like, I, I, I'm really happy to see Killian's progression. And I think there really is a question now, do you keep him around long-term as that third guard? Um Obviously the next draft will probably dictate that decision as well, depending on who the Pistons select, but um, yeah, still plenty to work on, but it's hard. Like he, he's been in the top three Pistons players this season, I would say, which is quite remarkable after the start he had.
0: Yeah. That is, that is a crazy thing to tell like November Laz that like Killian's been a, a top three, <laughs> top four Piston. Uh, ben, what have you thought about this Uh this experiment of Killian being the starting point guard and really the only point guard that sees consistent minutes.
1: Well, Jack, I'm glad you mentioned the absence after the suspension um, because I think that's an an interesting way to evaluate his impact because when he's completely unavailable because he's suspended and the team struggles mightily as a result of that, right? I mean, he's the only uh, dynamic point guard with the ability to Uh, run the offense and you're relying on Kojo as a result of it, right? Like that's a a very good way to assess overall impact, right? Beyond the stat line, beyond your eye test, like when he's completely unavailable, what does the offense look like? And it looks terrible. (laughs) That tells you something pretty interesting about a player, right? Um, I I think the thing to keep in mind with Killian, um, two things to keep in mind about Killian. One, he's incredibly young. We drafted him when he was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly young he was probably too young, right? He wasn't quite ready yet. And he was thrust into a role he wasn't really quite ready for. And so when we think about his age now, I mean, he's, he's finally at an age where a lot of people are just emerging into an NBA role. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is something I've said before, but I'll just put it out there as, as something to keep in mind. He's thriving in the role that he has always played. And as a Piston, it's the role he's played probably the least, right? He was injured as a rookie. Like he, he, he started as a point guard, he got injured, he came back, they were shuffling all around. Then they drafted Cade Cunningham, they threw him off ball. They don't go, go stand in the corner and shoot threes. Then, you know, he's been shuffled all over the place. He's finally got the ball in his hands as a point guard, as a playmaker, doing the things he has always done until he was drafted by the Pistons and got injured, right? So he's doing the things that he's been good at for the majority of his professional career before becoming a Piston, and he's thriving, right? With a long leash, without getting yanked because he's made a mistake, and he's playing like the guy you expected him to be when you drafted him, right? So I think that's incredibly interesting. Um, You know, there was some some Twitter stuff. What do we think the Pistons ought to do with him long-term? I'm not ready to make that a conversation yet. I want to see what he continues to do over the course of the season. But I will say he's certainly playing his way into, at a minimum, um, a long-term reserve rotation caliber player at, I think he's 21 right now. And if his shot continues to improve, you can certainly see a higher ceiling than that, right? And here's the thing I want to keep in mind with Killian. I, I want, I think Killian, Jade and Ivy Kane Huntingham I look at that group of three guys. Cade uh, in particular is really long. Killian also has quite a bit of length. And Jaden doesn't have, I don't know if he has quite as much length, but he's got an incredible amount of athleticism. What I see in that group is a lot of, assuming all of those guys hit somewhere up close to their ceiling, what I see is a lot of positional versatility. So I can see all of those guys switching defensively, matching up defensively in really interesting ways. And if they all reach somewhere close to their ceiling offensively, I don't think it really matters who's your point guard, who's your small forward, who's your, your shooting guard. I can see all of them in the last four or five, six minutes of a game, shuffling in and out and playing together in the last crunch time minutes and playing effectively together four years down the line. Right? Like I can see that happening. I could also see it not happening, but I could see it happening. So um, when it comes to Killian Hayes, I'm not at all ready to throw in the towel. I'm also not really ready to throw in the towel on Jay and Ivy, right? Like I was critical of him, really. I'm not throwing in the towel on Jay and Ivy. He's just having a rough stretch. But um, you know, with with Killian Hayes, um, the only thing about Killian is he's got to figure a way to shoot the ball consistently. He's got to make. He's got to get his shooting to somewhere close to league average for his position because everything else he does is good. He's a good defender. He's a good playmaker. He runs the offense well. He sees the court incredibly well. Put the ball in the basket, Killian, and, and get that shot figured out. And I, I think you're going to be a good player. 21 years old, kid. I mean, he he could be he could be a really solid player. So, um, yeah, that, that's where I'm with Killian Hayes. I can I continue to be cheering for him, and uh, hope he figures out the the Mason Plumlee left-handed free throw jumper. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um the thing I'm glad you both mentioned the
0: the suspension. It's interesting to me because my main takeaway from the from the time where Killian uh wasn't running the offense and wasn't able to participate uh as a as a member of the team, it was more that like Jaden Ivey probably isn't ready to play point guard Ooh, than it was that Killian okay. like was like really doing uh any anything like excessive for the Pistons. It's also a little bit of like Kojo is like Kojo's kind of kind of done. Kojo's kind of cooked. Totally like, washed, right? Like, oh, yeah. we don't we don't have to pretend anymore. We can yeah. we can say goodbye to Kojo this offseason and and thank you for your service. But yeah, I think that my my thing was more that like Jaden Ivey really, um, he's good at the things he's good at right now. Uh, but asking him to kind of play outside of structure or asking him to like really predetermine and map the map the floor is like not quite where you want to be. Off uh, Offensively and so I think he's Stuck he's quote unquote like stuck As an off guard right now um, The thing that's been encouraging for me about Killian is that the sample size Of these games just keeps growing Right like it was when it was Like five games is like okay we'll see We'll see what happens like then the Dallas game Happens and it's like it's 15 games it's like okay We'll keep seeing what happens now it's like it's almost thirty games, and it's like, yeah. okay, guys, like, it, like yeah. we'll keep seeing what happens. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. And, and so was, I'm I'm inevitably waiting for the shoe to drop, but I do think that uh, he's been, like Jack mentioned, he has something that he feels like he can do consistently offensively. That's been a big help. Um, you're starting to see a little bit of. I noticed this today in Philly, like teams still just kind of sitting on the left and and waiting for him to try and get back to it. Uh, that caused a couple turnovers. I think that was also part of the reason why his turnovers were up in San Antonio. Uh, he got stuck in traffic uh, a couple times, headed back to the left, and uh, and you'll you'll see teams continue to stick on that as um, he continues to be like a starting level player and and have the scout out on him. But yeah, I've been it's like this is this has been a a competent stretch of basketball from a 21-year-old point guard. Someone someone tweeted like, "Hey, if we had drafted Killian at 21 and he was putting up these numbers, like we would exactly. all be this was like, "Yeah, so it's a great way of looking at
1: it." Exactly right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the final thing I wanted to talk about was the news we got that Troy Weaver got a contract extension? Question mark. Uh I haven't seen uh, like a length of uh, the length of the contract extension, but it was reported by Sham Sarania of the Athletic. Um, it's a little weird. Timing is a little weird uh, for for a contract expen- extension. Jack, what did you think when you saw that news? Did you were you uh, were you expecting like a, a Troy Weaver contact uh, contract extension uh, to come down the pike this season?
2: Yeah, it was a little strange and. I mean, I think it's hard. It's obviously hard to say is it the right or wrong move. Clearly, I mean, I don't mind that there's obviously a level of trust in Troy. I feel like, I mean, I've been a fan since 2011, but from 2008 to maybe Stan Van Gundy's time, like there was a plenty of coaches that come and gone, players in and out. Like it was a pretty turbulent period. So, I guess you know, seeing that there's a level of trust between owner and general manager. I mean, I don't mind that, but the timing's weird and, I mean, there's no real rush. Um, I did want to add, I think it's it's tricky with the Pistons because, I mean, I think we're in Troy's, this is his third season, I believe, and obviously fans have, you know, we're starving for some form of success. I don't, I don't think there's been a playoff win since 2008. Maybe 2007. So it's really tricky. And I I mean, because you can see that the fan base is starting to question Troy, and rightfully so. I think it's important to remember when Troy came, he inherited a roster with really no assets at all. I mean, because I see the Pistons compared to the Rockets, OKC, and the Magic a lot. And all three of those franchises were able to flip out their stars and get a heap of draft picks, assets, even young players back to sort of kickstart their rebuild. The Pistons started with nothing. They had Seiku Dumboya. And they were meant to get pick five and fell to seven and got Killian, who we've just discussed was a he's a project. Stew's being nice. Bays, we don't know what he's where Sadiq's at. I think Troy's drafted reasonably well. Um, but I do think next season it's definitely time. There needs to be, you know, the wins need to start coming. I mean, injuries. This season has been hampered by injuries, but, yeah, it's been disappointing nonetheless. And, yeah, next season is really when I think the pressure begins and that extension will be a point of conversation for good or bad. Yeah, Ben, what,
0: what did you think of the extension? I, I agree with Jack that it, the timing
1: definitely uh, seemed weird. Yeah, uh, surprise is the right word for me as well. Um, I think in terms of wins and losses, obviously the out, the outcomes haven't been there, but the, the goals were clearly different than the previous, uh, the previous brass, right? I mean, uh, Troy was tasked with a complete rebuild, uh, rebuild. It's been branded as a restoration. I mean, you can throw season one out the window, obviously, right? That was the, the season that you used to completely start over. Um, he did the things we would have expected with the number one pick. I mean, Laz, you and I both agreed. I mean, I I think we were both sort of torn up until the moment of the draft. What do you do? I was torn between Mobley and Cade and eventually just said, look, it's the consensus number one pick. You take Cade. And then he drafted really well after Cade, right? He's done some really interesting things. Um, in free agency and trades. He's been very creative. Boyan has been a, a fantastic acquisition and so on and so forth. Um, you know, the Ivy pick, I don't, eh, I'm not going to rehash all of that, um, but the timing is weird, right? Like um, re-upping before any of the, the risks that he's taken have come to fruition is interesting, right? That, that is, that is really interesting. I think also, re-upping right after re-upping casey is also interesting especially while there are questions about casey so i don't know the timing is the timing is weird um i also don't think it's necessarily bad because um you know maybe you just want to give weaver the confidence and the certainty to continue to be aggressive and you know go go get it go finish the job you started right like maybe that's the conversation goras and, and weaver have had um obviously these kind of conversations we as panelists are not privy to um uh, I, I you know i've had my own uncertainties and questions about weaver that i'm not I haven't litigated yet i'm not going to litigate it's way too soon to litigate because Cade cunningham's what 21 ivy's 20 or 21 all these guys are 20 or 21 we're not going to know how all this plays out until they're 23, 24, 25, 26 years old. So um, timing's odd, but uh, you know, weaver unquestionably as Jack, you just explained very clearly. When you compare the cards he was dealt to the cards, other teams in similar situations was dealt has, has managed to turn those cards into something objectively, no questions asked. You can, you can quibble with certain, moves he's made but on the whole he's managed to turn it into something uh, something fairly impressive i think so i i don't think even if you disagree with certain particularities on the whole i think you'd have to say he's done a fairly good job
0: the timing was interesting because so like normally you're the gm you get the contract extension after you win like the 40 games right like we're we're going into year three of troy weaver's tenure and we're going into year three of like sub 25 win team it's like normally you get the extension when like you make the play-in tournament or uh you uh you make the playoffs for sure it's like okay like everything you predicted would happen like the development you uh you foresaw the the guys you drafted, like they, they developed accordingly. And so like we're rewarding you to get the reward before the actual thing has come to fruition was just a little bit weird. I'll say that much. I do think a lot of it though was what I do. I think some part of it was what Ben talked about uh, in terms of like, a, it's a light, the contract extension as a license to still be aggressive as a license to not feel like you have to do you know, uh, some sort of trade in order to preserve your, your position, a license to like, not do something like let's trade for, uh, Griffin. X <laughs> uh, right, right. Let's, let's trade for X guys. So we make the playoffs for sure. Right. Even if we're the eight seed and that, that hampers our cap for the next three years. So it was like, I, I understand the theory of the case behind that. The timing was just weird. If I remember correctly, Troy signed a four year deal and this is year three and so I, I like i guess year this next year was going to be uh his final year but it's like I, it, lame duck gms happen all the time so I'm, it was it was just weird it was just weird uh we'll we'll keep it at that um jack thanks for coming on appreciate you uh you being here appreciate you catching me and ben up to speed with what happened with the games we missed I'll let the people know where they can find you, where they can find the the great work you've been doing
2: for us. No problem, guys. You didn't miss much, so. <laughs> but nonetheless, appreciate it. No, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore Kelly underscore three one three. Um, I do have a Jalen Duran piece that should be dropping in the next day or two, just sort of going through the catalyst for his success as well as the intrigue surrounding his game. Ben mentioned he's passing in the pod, that features heavily. So um, yeah, give us a follow, DMs are open the chat hoops and um, yeah, thanks for having me on guys.
0: No, no problem. Advertising the open DMs is not something I would be doing, but you're, you're a younger and uh, healthier man than I, for sure. Uh, ben, let the people know where they can find you and uh, where they can chat with you about basketball this season.
1: Well, first of all, Jack, I just want to mention it's been awesome to see you blossom as a writer. Uh, seeing your success over the past year, year and a half, has been really cool to see. Um, you're doing great work. I've, I always look forward to seeing your stuff. Uh, Detroit Bad Boys and other places, man. man. It's been really cool to watch. So uh, if you're not following Jack on the blog at Detroit Bad Boys or on Twitter, otherwise make sure you correct that and do it. It's been fun to watch. He's always a great read. I'll I'll be looking forward to reading the the Jalen Duran piece this week. Uh, Yeah, I made the mistake of live-tweeting this Pistons debacle today and had to sign off because I was feeling emo, Ben. As the Pistons got blown out, uh, yeah, man. Uh, at Detroit Bad Boys is probably the comments thread this week. I'll, eh, let's talk. Let's talk about something positive on Detroit Bad Boys in the comments of the podcast post. Otherwise, at Biral Golkar on Twitter, my DMs are not open. But if you're following me, you can send me a message. <laughs> I'm married, Jack. I think you just said you had a girlfriend. I'm married, so my DMs are closed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a correlation oh between married and DMs being open, but I, yeah,
0: I mean, I, oof. yeah, I'm not, I'm not waiting. that's a whole separate podcast. That's a different subject. That's a, that's a different. Uh, I'm a couple different. months
1: from forty. I don't have time for open DMs. So let's just say that.
0: <laughs> I feel that. I feel that.
1: Uh, of course,
0: you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. I think my DMs are like semi-open. You have to be, I think you have to be following me in order to send me a DM. I think that's how that goes. My email address is also like in my Twitter bio. You could always oh, yeah, just email okay. me. It's like, I i read all of my emails. I'm a, I'm a zero, uh, I'm an email zero guy. And so I read everything uh, people send, which is like next to nothing. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah i i appreciate everybody who wants to reach out and chat hoops even the people who are just yelling about killian hayes back and forth in my mentions (laughs) i appreciate you guys too all right everyone thank you all for listening we are i apologize for the hiatus as well uh we had some like holiday snafus i went to uh nor i went to new orleans for like five days it's like it didn't pack the microphone. It was just it was a lot of stuff happening. So I know this podcast is like a week and a half late, but it got you jack, so you should be happy about that. Uh podcast will resume on a normal schedule. What were you going to say, Ben?
1: I was going to say, sometimes lab, someday, Laz, we'll have to compare stories about uh, New Orleans. We'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to tell you my karaoke, my karaoke <laughs> stories from the um, my night in New Orleans. It's what That's what all. We are, we are definitely going to have to talk about that afterwards. <laughs> I was in my 20s, so you know it got interesting. <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans, lovely city. Like, well, definitely going karaoke, back. Cat Scratch, what's cat the name? Cat Meow, whatever that, the famous karaoke bar is. I wound up there, so let's put it that way. Right. And on stage.
0: Right. Oh. Hold okay? on stage, against okay. my okay. will let's let's uh let's keep the mystery but yeah for sure you guys have to listen to the extended hours of the podcast yeah, yeah after, after is, dark yeah the podcast after dark all right y'all this has been the detroit bad boys podcast we'll be back on a normal schedule i promise uh so we will see you all next week thank you for listening